Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Facebook Live brought to you by the Lymphoma Research Foundation. Thank you so much for taking a little time out of your day to be with us here today. Now, we know everyone is going through this pandemic and dealing with it in different ways, but we know that it is particularly hard when you're dealing with a pandemic and lymphoma. So today we have a great program for you with some fantastic guests who are going to tell you about the resources out there for lymphoma patients during a pandemic. And we're going to get started right away with Joanna Morales from Triage Cancer and Rachel Becker from Cancer and Careers. Ladies, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So Rachel, I want to start with you. Um, since the onset of, of COVID-19, what issues have cancer patients come to your organization with regarding their employment and or difficulty with employers during the pandemic? Absolutely. So, you know, very early on, we started seeing concerns coming up around hours being cut back or jobs being eliminated, obviously. And then um, back in March and April, we were also fielding a lot of questions about the transition to work from home and the way to manage the realities of that, boundaries with family and children around and the difference of not actually being face-to-face -face with your colleagues. But something that's really started to rise up in the past few months and taken over in terms of the kinds of inquiries that we're getting are questions about returning back to the workspaces now that we're seeing businesses starting to reopen. And a lot of concerns from people in the community who are either still in treatment and immunocompromised or just have heightened sense of health concerns and, and concerns about exposure and want to know how to have conversations with their employers about returning to the workspace and, and, um, and communicating what their specific needs are, which is something I know we're going to be talking more about as we move through here. Right. But so go ahead. Well, I was going to say what we tend to recommend in those circumstances is that people always start from a place of curiosity and start by asking questions first rather than presenting their concerns up front because we also are seeing a lot of employers having concerns about the safety of the people who are working for them. So when we start with from a place of tell me what you're thinking, tell me where you're coming from in terms of making plans for me and, and my colleagues in our return, it's a good opener to the conversation and it often puts a lot of concerns at rest without anyone having to share what their specific concerns are. Yeah, that's a good thing. I think it gives everybody a little peace of mind, makes it a little less contentious. So you mentioned uh, returning to work and as states reopen right now, Joanna, what are some of the issues that both patients and employers need to address? And I say that as we're all working from home, so to speak, here right now. Uh, but as people start to return to the offices, what are some things they need to keep in mind? Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that everything looks different across the country, depending on the city that you live in, even let alone the state that you live in, it's going to look completely different. And I would add just to what Rachel said, I think that we're also hearing a lot of concerns from caregivers who are concerned about going back to work and then being exposed and then exposing their family members and loved ones. And so really patients and caregivers need to understand how employers are required to make sure that the workplace is safe. So regardless of what type of workplace that you live in, there are rules. And those rules don't just exist at the federal level where OSHA and the CDC and even the WHO are laying out procedures for workplaces to reopen safely, but also states and counties and cities are laying out really specific rules about what employers have to do to make sure that workplaces are safe. So social distancing and access to hand sanitizer and all of the other protections that are coming into play as a result of the pandemic 
need to be available in the workplace as well. And then understanding your employment, your general employment protections as an individual who's been diagnosed with cancer or as a caregiver. So you mentioned those precautions and protections that need to be put in place overall, regardless of the employee that's returning to work. Are there any special precautions that an employer needs to put in place if someone is an employee that has cancer? Well, not as a result of the pandemic specifically, right? Everybody should have access to the same protections against potentially getting coronavirus in the workplace. But for an individual with a compromised immune system uh, or a caregiver, there could be other laws that come into play that provide protections. So for an individual diagnosed with cancer, the Americans with Disabilities Act is a federal law that protects people against discrimination in the workplace based on their medical condition, but also gives them access to something called a reasonable accommodation. And reasonable accommodations are any change in the workplace environment or schedule that enable an individual to work or go back to work. Uh, and so those reasonable accommodations could be things like telecommuting, so if a patient's in a situation where everybody's being brought back to the office because that's what's happening in their state or their city, they could continue to potentially work from home if that's reasonable based on their job responsibilities. So the ADA is a federal law, but there are also state versions of the ADA in almost every state that provide those protections as well. Rachel, it was looking like you wanted to chime in there. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I was I was just listening intently to what Joanna was saying. I mean, one thing that I will say as well is that, you know, there is a, um, it, it is going to be a process as people transition back. And so from a more practical standpoint, you know, making sure that everyone is being kind with themselves, taking the time to process this information and not expecting that a return to work is going to look exactly the way things did before we shut down. But it's going to be an ongoing process. There is no need to to just expect to slip right in and, um, and to be, again, to be having conversations. Uh, Joanne, I want to talk about FMLA, the Family and Medical Leave Act. And, and I understand that right now that can have particular importance for lymphoma patients and their caregivers. So what is it important that they should know about that law right now? So the Family and Medical Leave Act, or FMLA, is also a federal law. So it applies in every state, but it only applies to larger employers. So you have to work for an employer with at least 50 employees, and you have to have worked there at least 12 months, and you have to work there at least 1,250 hours in the last 12 months that you worked for that employer. So there's gonna be a lot of employees who don't get access to the FMLA. Uh, but for people who do, it allows you to take time off for your own serious medical condition, but also as a caregiver of a spouse, a parent, or a child. And that's a pretty limited definition of who you get to care for, but if you're in a situation where you can use the FMLA, it gives you up to 12 weeks of leave per year. The downside to the FMLA is that while it provides that leave and it's job protected leave, and in some cases health insurance protected leave, it's unpaid. And most people can't afford to take unpaid leave. And so and currently, as a result of the pandemic, we have some other laws that have been passed recently that have provided some additional benefits that aren't specific to the cancer community, but someone in the cancer community might actually be able to benefit from them. So we have under the FFCRA, uh, that law actually created paid sick leave and paid FMLA leave. 
but in really limited circumstances. So you get two weeks of paid leave, but are paid sick leave if you've been exposed to the coronavirus and you've been or required to self-quarantine. But also if you're caring for a minor child who's not at who is not at school because their school or their child care has closed. So you get two weeks of paid sick leave there, but then the paid FMLA leave also gives you 12 weeks of leave, 10 of which are also paid, but you can only use that paid FMLA leave if you have a minor child at home whose school has closed or childcare is closed. So there's some real limitations on those laws, but for a cancer patient who is at home because their child's school has closed, they can tap into those benefits, which are really sometimes more beneficial than the unpaid original FMLA leave. Yeah, definitely a little extra help for people in those positions right now. But you, as you mentioned, if somebody can't afford to take time off or can't qualify for one of these new provisions that have been put in place, do you have any recommendations for them? We're seeing a lot of patients uh, make decisions about whether or not they can go back to work or whether or not they need to actually uh, file for disability insurance benefits. Um, or in some cases, if they refuse to go back to work and they're let go, then tapping into unemployment benefits. There are lots of different types of disability insurance. We have a lot of resources on our website at triagecancer.org about how to navigate disability insurance applications. Uh, and how to get access to those benefits that someone might qualify for, but there's pretty limited options. And unfortunately, the pandemic has created an economic environment, which has only exacerbated the financial burden of a cancer diagnosis for most people. And Joanna, I want to clarify one point uh, on that there. The FMLA, uh, you said, only applies to larger employers. Is it also only full-time work or would freelancers qualify that for that as well? So it depends, actually. So freelancers um, are a little bit different. So part-time workers also have access to the FMLA, but if you're working in a freelance or gig work environment, most of the time as an independent contractor, you're waiving your rights to something like the FMLA because you're not an employee. Uh, and so in that case, you need to be looking to see what other options are available. When Congress passed the CARES Act as a result of the pandemic, they expanded unemployment benefits for everybody who qualifies. So they added an additional $600 a week, they added 13 more weeks of benefits in every state, and then they also allowed gig workers to actually get unemployment benefits where they couldn't before. Uh, and so now gig workers or independent contractors or freelancers, they can actually all apply for unemployment benefits in their state. Uh, unfortunately, the $600 a week extra benefit actually ends this week. And so we're waiting for Congress to see what they're going to do next, which hopefully we'll know by the end of the week. And so since I know so many people in today's day and age are gig workers, are freelancers. Rachel, do you have any uh, other resources that they can lean on during this time or their caregivers, specifically if they're dealing with COVID and cancer right now? Sure. So unfortunately, there are no resources that are specifically for cancer patients and survivors who are freelance workers, but there are plenty for freelance workers at large that are wonderful resources. So the Freelancers Union, which can be found at freelancersunion.org, is a great information resource. They've also got some financial assistance programs that are available to people during COVID-19 and a really robust blog with lots of information on coping during this time. And um, 
in terms of, you know, if somebody who might be looking for work at this particular moment as a freelancer, trade and membership organizations can be great, great opportunities to network because, of course, networking is the best way to continue finding work. And also those organizations often have dialogues and, again, information resource hubs with specific resources for people in specific fields because, of course, freelancers might work in a variety of different fields from software to graphic design and of course the list goes on and on. Um, additionally, in terms of finding work, flexjobs.com is a great website which posts all sorts of remote work, which is obviously very relevant right now, but I think is often a great option even in the moments prior to the pandemic for people who were coming back from treatment or maybe still in treatment and feeling like working from home was going to be a better option for them. Um, and then, you know, I think it's really important as well for um, for freelancers to recognize that just being a savvy candidate and being on top of your game is great. And we have a lot of resources that are available for free through cancers and cancer and careers. Um, in particular, I want to point to our resume review service, which is a free service that people can use. They can upload their resume. And we will pass it along to a professional career coach who will take a look at it help get it in order, let her know what specifically it is that you're thinking about in terms of your next goal for a project. And um, that can really position people well to find their next opportunity. So one of the things that you mentioned there was networking as a, as a great mm -hmm. way to, to stay in the job front. What does that look like right now with the pandemic going on for these survivors who are out there freelancing? So one of the things that's been that's kind of wonderful about the age that we're living in is even prior to the pandemic so much networking was happening online because of linkedin which for people who may not be familiar with it is a social networking platform it's kind of like facebook but it is specifically for the job space um, the professional space and it is common practice on these sites to reach out to people that we may not know ahead of time and say you work for an organization that I'd love to learn more about, or, hey, I, I've been reading some articles that you've written about you, the work that you're doing in XYZ fields, and I'm interested in finding opportunities there. Can we do a, a Skype coffee and just get to know each other a little bit so that I can pick your brain? Um, we, again, on cancerandcareers.org, we have some archived webinars on building an effective LinkedIn profile, using social media to tell your best story, so those are, that's a great destination to check out if you're interested in really maximizing those platforms as well. So it sounds like the same advice for going back to work, start from a place of curiosity, can be beneficial here too. Curiosity is very grounding. Absolutely. All right, Joanna, so you know, we heard a lot about the PPP, that these small businesses, that these businesses in general were getting uh, to, to keep some of their workers on or to hire back workers that had been fired, but what rights does a cancer patient have right now if they've been laid off because of COVID-19? That's a great question. It really depends on why they're being laid off. So if they're being laid off because of their medical condition, that's not supposed to happen. There are laws like the ADA, which are meant to protect people from discrimination based on their medical condition. Uh, but unfortunately, the economic environment that we're in right now means that people are going to be laid off. And we know that more than 45 million people have filed for unemployment benefits over the last few months. So there is a circumstance where someone is going to have to tap into those unemployment benefits and understanding what's available in their state. 
uh, is a key piece. I think Rachel and I would definitely want everyone to leave here with the message of find out what your options are and don't wait. Uh, because a lot of these benefits and programs have deadlines and they're time sensitive and we want people to get access um, to help as quickly as possible. So if someone feels like they've been discriminated against based on their medical condition, there are definitely steps they can take. Uh, talking to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is the federal agency that enforces the ADA, uh, that would be a first step or the state agency that enforces the state law. But ultimately, we want people to understand what their rights are so they can go into those conversations with their employer before they end up in a situation where they're losing their job and to be proactively asking for accommodations or leave options or understanding how they can use disability insurance if they're not ready to go back to work. Oh, that's good. So do you have any more uh, place we can point people to for that disability insurance to help them out there? Because I think that's going to be valuable information for them. Yes. So the disability insurance information can be found on triagecancer.org. We have webinars that explain the different types of disability insurance. We also have state-specific unemployment information. So understanding the agency where you go in your state to file for unemployment, as well as some resources and tips on how to do that. Great. So if someone is struggling financially right now, Rachel, or has been laid off, what are some of the resources that are out there that they can take advantage of right now? Sure. So I'm actually going to let Joanna take, take the bulk of answering this question. But what I will start off by saying is that there are so many organizations within the cancer community and outside of the cancer community that have made financial assistance or grants available. I know LRF has made some available. Um, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society as well, um, Cancer Support Community, and then there are practical programs as well. Some of them are local, some of them are larger. So food assistance programs, and not just food stamp type programs, but within local communities, um, organizations like Team Rubicon USA that have created food access. And uh, also private companies that are helping out in some ways as well. I know that there's been some support towards um, donating supplies to people who might, might need them, like vitamins and diapers and things like that. And then what I'll also say is that Cancer and Careers is also launching a financial assistance grants program um, in August. It's going to be an application-based program. Um, we've got a pretty wide capture of people who may have needs related to COVID-19, whether it's that they um, are looking for work and want to build bulk up their skill set, or um, you know maybe it's the case that their computer is not top notch anymore and they're working from home, and so they could use some extra money to upgrade their laptop or pay for their Wi-Fi because that's going to be critical in helping to make sure that they can stay engaged in the job market. So I encourage everyone to keep their eyes open for that program when it goes live. And do you have a date on that yet? We don't have a specific date. It is going to be mid mid late August. Okay. All right. I'm sure people will be keeping an eye, an eye out for that. So, Joanna, you, I'm sure you have some resources as well that people can look to right now. I do. I think even outside of the pandemic, we always encourage people not to ignore your bills uh, because not opening the mail doesn't make them go away. And we want to make sure that if people are getting bills from creditors, that there are ways to deal with them. So whether it be working out payment plans, but in the context of a pandemic, there are so many more consumer programs available. There are telecommunications companies like phone companies that are 
allowing people to suspend payments or to make late payments without any penalties. There's, um, as Rachel mentioned, food programs or other utility programs or housing or mortgages or student loans. There are all sorts of consumer programs right now that are available to help people in the context of a pandemic. But if people don't ask for help, then it's not going to show up at their doorstep. Uh, and so we really want people to know where to go. At triagecancer.org, we're collecting that information, but we also host a separate website called cancerfinances.org, where we have a COVID-specific section which talks about all of the new things that are available as a result of the pandemic. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, you mentioned those bills and not wanting people to fall behind. For so many cancer patients, they have more out-of-pocket costs for their medical bills. Um, so is there anything that cancer patients should be more aware of now during the pandemic when it comes to their health insurance? I think there are so many people that have lost access to health insurance coverage because still in the United States, 50% of people get health insurance through their employer. And so many millions of people have actually lost their job and they've lost the health insurance connected to that job. So understanding what your options are for continuing to have health insurance coverage is key in this moment. Um, we have new resources available to help people know what their options are when they lose their employer-sponsored coverage, but then also making really smart choices about what those coverage options are um, and how they're gonna work best for someone to lower their out-of-pocket costs. So you can actually do some pretty savvy math as a consumer. I don't really enjoy doing math myself, <laughs> uh, but it's not hard math, uh, but we lay out how to pick a health insurance plan with the lowest out-of-pocket costs. Uh, and because of laws like the Affordable Care Act, which protect people's, uh, from facing higher costs as a result of a pre-existing condition, we actually can make choices every single year about our health insurance coverage. And in moments where we're losing one type of coverage, we now have new options for getting other types of coverage and getting financial help to get that coverage uh, through state health insurance marketplaces or Medicaid or even Medicare. There are financial assistance programs available. So we spend a lot of time trying to make sure people know what all of their options are so they can make smart choices. You know, I'm just trying to think of someone who might be in this position right now, who might be laid off from work, who might be dealing with their cancer, and it seems so overwhelming, and the pandemic is still looming in the background here. Obviously, you've got some great resources on, on both of your websites and through both of your organizations, but where would you say it's the most important place to start right now, uh, whether it is finding a job, whether it is getting a health insurance, whether, whether it is looking for the, the financial assistance that is out there? Because I think sometimes just getting started is the most important step, and then that can kind of lead to a windfall there. So I'll, I'll start with, I mean, whoever wants to take it first. Joanna, we'll start with you since you went last. <laughs> so we actually, all of the issues that you talked about are things that we normally help people navigate after a cancer diagnosis. Uh, and now it's just even more important that we're available to help people walk through their options, and we are. So we do have all of that information available on our website, but people can call or email us, um, and we will walk them through their situation and help them figure out what the best options are for them. Rachel, anything right. you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah to, to pick up on what Joanna was saying, I would echo that I think that where to start is really going to vary from person to person. You know, my background is in social work and we always talk about wanting to meet the individual where they are because 
even if somebody is looking at all three of those issues that you listed, job, health insurance, income, they may have a different priority depending on what's going on in their life and what other, what other supports they have access to. And so as Joanna said at Cancer and Careers, we are also available for conversations to talk through these things. But I think also, you know, starting with the people that are around you, with family members, with healthcare providers, if there's a social worker on an oncology team that you've been working with, maybe sitting down with them and, and starting with the question of what is the most important to me right now? Because often having somebody who can help us kind of step outside of the overwhelm and the panic and realize that we can parse through the issues when we look at them a little bit more objectively is what we need in order to get that that first step to get out of our own head. Yeah. Well, it's glad to hear that there are so many resources out there um, that people can take advantage of right now. One other question I know that a lot of survivors or, or people who are going through treatment right now might be dealing with is, is medication costs as well. Um, so Joanna, are, are there pharmaceutical companies right now that are stepping up? And if so, what resources are, are they providing? What help are they providing for some of the patients who might need their medications now? I think anyone who's facing challenges getting access to medications or paying for them should definitely be looking at what programs their pharmaceutical companies are offering uh, because they can range from copay assistance to lower what someone pays for their copays to actually providing free access to drugs based on someone's um, insurance situation but also really practical things where if an insurance company has denied someone coverage for a particular drug Oftentimes, the pharmaceutical companies have key information to help you with that appeal so that ultimately the insurance company will pay for it, and it actually prevents a patient from having to pay out of pocket for that drug or, worse yet, decide not to access that drug because they can't afford to pay for it, where a doctor has actually said it's medically necessary for a patient to use that drug. Wow, that's great to know that you have a, a little bit of support in, in filling out that paperwork and in financially as well if you can get your insurance company to cover it right now. Um, you know, I know we're meeting via Skype right now as, as we have this conversation here, and, and all of this telecommunications has been really vital in, in helping so many people get through the pandemic, and I think that extends to telemedicine. So what are some of the things that you guys have seen going on in the world of telemedicine as it applies to cancer patients and any important things they should know about meeting with their uh, medical professionals during this time? Well, I will just say that in terms of telemedicine, I think it is a relatively new thing. Um, I think that pre-pandemic, it was being used pretty sparingly. Um, the laws have changed uh, for different types of insurance coverage in terms of what insurance companies need to cover over telemedicine specific to the coronavirus. Um, and we're all looking to see how these telemedicine tools are going to be able to continue moving past the pandemic. Uh, but I think most patients should be reaching out to their healthcare teams if they need access to care and they're concerned about going into an office. Um, I think in the cancer community, we wanna make sure people are still getting access to preventive services um, and that they're not being afraid to tap into their healthcare team as a resource, whether it be their physical health or their mental health um, and tapping into psychosocial resources that are available over telemedicine as well. Yeah, and I would I would also add on to that that we really are seeing such an increase in in um, telemedicine services being provided 
And one of the benefits there as well is that it reduces the population of people who are actually going to doctor's office and medical centers. So for people who may be having anxiety about actually showing up in a medical office in order to get in-person care, if that is something that they need, because as Joanna was suggesting, we do know that telemedicine cannot scratch all itches when it comes to our personal health care. It is safer because of telemedicine to go in person because we're seeing less of a density of people needing to go into physical locations. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people are probably wrestling with that right now. So how do you advise the people uh, that you deal with uh, as far as whether or not they should be meeting via telemedicine or no, go into the doctor's office right now? Cause I, it's important. I, we advise them to talk to their team yeah. because we don't have medical degrees. And so you wanna talk to somebody who has a medical degree and say, hey, is this something you need to see me in person for? Or is this something that we can talk about over Skype or something like it? And, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's going to be their call. It's always going to be their call. But ask the question. Again, back to that curiosity point. Reach out. Find out. Because something that might cause you to kind of have a little moment of internal panic and think that you need to be seen in person, your doctor then says, you know what, that's pretty common. I'm just going to call a, a prescription into your pharmacy and then they do that, and then the pharmacy delivers it, and then you never left your house at all. So always asking the question. Excellent. That's great advice. Rachel, do you have any uh, other free resources out there that you think people should be looking to uh, to protect themselves as it pertains specifically to COVID-19 right now? You know, that's such an interesting question because there aren't a ton of resources that are providing protection directly like direct sort of tangible protection pieces. Like there aren't free mask organizations that are handing out to the to the population at large. We're seeing that a lot with healthcare workers getting mask donations. Um, some programs of mask donation uh, amongst local charities, and I know the state of Washington implemented a program where they're handing out masks recently. Um, but I think that really the best resource for making sure that we're staying safe is being informed. So checking with the CDC, as Joanna mentioned earlier, the WHO, they're updating recommendations on a regular basis as we continue to gain information about this virus and as research continues to come back. And then again, having conversations with your healthcare team. And I would encourage people to think beyond just their oncologist when they're thinking about their, their healthcare team too. You know, I actually went for a COVID test myself last week and the person who was giving me the test was a nurse and I said, I have a bunch of questions, can you, can you answer them? I wanna make sure that I understand the most current information on coronavirus and I bet because you're working at a pop-up clinic in New York City, you're really well informed on this and he did. He took 15 minutes to sit with me that he didn't have to and have those conversations. So again, knowing that knowledge is power, going directly to the sources to get that information rather than you know trusting things that we're seeing posted on social media platforms, which we may not know who's writing them and how they're processing information, that's really critical yeah. to, to keeping ourselves safe. And really knowing, as you said, they're the right questions to ask. We hear that so often, you know, are you asking the questions, but are you asking the right questions? And I think if we're using those resources that are out there, like the WHO, like the CDC right now, uh, you can hopefully go in prepared, because right now we know our doctors and nurses and, and medical workers on the front line are all very busy and, and have their hands full uh, across the country right now. But, but even with them being busy, take the time to ask. The worst thing they're going to say is, I'm super busy and I can't right now, right? But maybe there's somebody else on site who can. So don't be afraid just because you think your team might be busy. 
to speak up and ask the question when you have them in person because you know what, maybe they're happy to have a break and not have to run from patient to patient for a while and to just sit and have a conversation with you. You never know. Right. That's great advice. Um, Joanna, you know, if somebody has been laid off or furloughed right now, um, are there any things that they need to know specifically about their health insurance moving forward uh, as they come out of this pandemic? I think to really understand that they have probably more options than they think they do and to actually investigate those options. A lot of employees uh, get information about COBRA from their employer and then they think that COBRA is too expensive. Uh, because it's talked about as too expensive, but it actually might not be that expensive based on what an employer pays for that health insurance, uh, but that there are lots of other options that someone might qualify for. And it's also really important, I think, across everything that we've talked about today is that things are constantly changing. So staying on top of all this information can be really difficult. I think as the pandemic moves along, we're just going to continue to see changes in the way that employers are reopening in the way that state and federal and local governments are responding to the needs of employees and the rest of the community. But even things like COBRA, the length of time that you can sign up for COBRA has been extended. Uh, but really, most people don't know about that. So I would just encourage people to understand that they there's a lot of information that they probably need to navigate, but that there are resources available to help people navigate it. Excellent. Ladies, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I want to give you both the opportunity, if you want, just to have uh, a last word in, in speaking to people who might be dealing with careers and, and COVID as, as they also battle their cancer right now. So, Rachel, we'll start with you. Sure. So I think, I, you know, as Joanna mentioned in the middle of, the, of our conversation, one of the things that I think we both collectively would like people to walk away from is knowing what options they have available to them and knowing that there is information out there and people who are willing to help. So as far as our organization, cancerandcareers.org, um, check us out. We have a lot of information posted online. We have an entire section of the website that's dedicated to COVID resources, as well as employment in general. And all of the programs that we offer are free of charge. We will be launching a program in the fall of virtual events that is part of our response to the COVID-19 pan COVID pandemic. And so the schedule for that is going to be going live soon. We're going to do a whole series with a career coach um, looking for work during this time of social distancing. So be sure to check it out. Excellent. Joanna. Uh, I would just echo what Rachel said. We want people to know that they're not alone. And there's certainly uh, places where they can go for help. And we have been hosting a series of employment and health insurance webinars specific to COVID-19 to help people navigate some of those decisions. Uh, and the newest one will be on August 19th, and we will provide an update on uh, whatever Congress does between now and then to continue to extend benefits to people. Excellent. Joanna Morales, Triage Cancer, Rachel Becker, Cancer and Careers, thank you so much, ladies, for taking the time to speak with us today. I know our audience really appreciates it. I want to thank everybody for joining us on this Facebook Live today. We have a special thank you to our supporters, AbbVie, AstraZeneca, Autolus, Beijing, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Foundation Medicine, Kite, Mallinckrodt, Morphosis, Seattle Genetics. Thank you all for your support. And to see if you qualify for LRF's COVID-19 Financial Assistance Grant, you can visit lymphoma.org forward slash financial support or call the Lymphoma Helpline at 
500-9976. Thank you again so much for joining us today. And be sure to check out lymphoma.org for more valuable information. We'll see you next time.